Hello my loves and welcome back to another episode of And Nobody Dies in This One. This week we're talking to disability consultant Andrew Gerza. Andrew hosts the Disability After Dark podcast which has the conversations about sex and disability we should all be having. He also started the Disabled People Are Hot hashtag which you should definitely hop on Twitter to check out because it's awesome. We talked all things sex, disability and sexuality and why it's so important to feel seen and included and my podcast is so bloody awesome. I mean we might be a little bit biased but it's true. I learned a lot from listening to Andrew talk and I hope you do too. I heard that you're looking for a good love story with queer people having lots of fun. It's your lucky day cause we've got the tale for you and nobody dies in this one. Today we are joined by Andrew Gerza, who is Disability Awareness Consultant. Um, you're also the host of um, the Disability After Dark podcast, um, so podcast buddies. So can you just introduce yourself to us? Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do. Sure, my name is Andrew Gerza. I'm a Disability Awareness Consultant and Crippled Content Creator. And I'm the host of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining your bright light on sex and disability. Uh, I also do, I also created a viral hashtag a few weeks ago uh, that went all over the world, I guess. The disabled people are hot hashtag that you yes. might have seen on social media. That was me. Um, Amazing. Which Incredible. is kind of cool. And it's been, all, it's, it's been, you know, so I do, right as I do this, I have a cold. Yeah, right as, this, right as I start talking, my voice is like, let's not work. <laughs> Um, it's okay, you can have like a nice husky podcast That's voice. right, like a nice, like, yeah, a nice serial-esque podcast voice, yeah. Um, so I do uh, stuff around queerness and disability primarily. I also uh, go and give talks about what it means to be queer and disabled and why sex and disability is so awesome and like why you should all fuck a disabled person basically at one point in your life. Um, and I, I pretty much just, I, I really try to bring, try to create things around disability that, that center disability and put it at the, at the forefront of queerness. Cool. Amazing. That's really interesting. And we're going to talk about all that um, loads more as we go on. But first, can we get you to tell us when you got your official queer membership card? So this can be serious, it can be silly, whatever your interpretation of that is oh wow my queer membership card that's i mean there's there are a couple of times that i think that i got that card uh <laughs> the first time i think was when i was like five or six do you remember the and i've so, I mentioned this a couple times on my show and on other shows do you remember the the robin hood the fox cartoon yeah <laughs> yes so <laughs> i was obsessed with him because he was he had red hair and he was british and that was like, and that was, I remember being like, this is weird, but I'm into all of this. And I remember being really into that. And then, not so surprisingly, as I grew up, I really got attracted to men who were ginger and had accents. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that's where my queer, that's part one. And then part two is Full House, John Stamos, Uncle Jesse. I was like, yep, definitely want to get with all of that, whatever that is. Like, And so there have been... Moments where, like, my queer membership definitely, when I was a kid, my queer membership certainly was something that was always there, but I never knew how to articulate it. And then when I was going into puberty and stuff, like, 
I for sure knew. But I didn't, because I was disabled, and because everybody was afraid to talk to me about sex, particularly around my disability, I didn't know how to navigate any of that. So I didn't start really being, really acting on my gay feelings until I was about 19. But I've known since I was like four or five. Okay, so tell us a bit more about what you do. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 um, I love to center queerness and disability together. It's one of my favorite two things to put together. I love creating branding around disability and queerness. So, like, Disability After Dark, the podcast that I make. I mean, I started making it because I noticed that I've been doing writing around disability and queerness for art, for places like HuffPo, uh, The Advocate, um, Out Magazine. So I've been writing about that for a couple of years, and then I realized that in the podcast space, disability and sexuality was not... There were shows that did, like, one or two episodes on queerness and, and like, or just sex and disability generally, but there wasn't one show dedicated to, hey, let's talk about all the things that sex and disability means for different people. Let's do it every week. And I noticed that there wasn't a show like that, so I was like, well... Writing was becoming harder and harder for me to do physically because of typing. When you have certain disabilities can be painful on the joints and hard to do and it takes some time. So I was like, I can get a microphone and talk. I can talk for an hour and make a show. And I, I also had no idea at the time how podcasting worked. I didn't know what any of that meant. Was, Neither do we. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> we so weird. It, well, that's okay. It's totally fine. It's such a weird medium that is still new and still kind of t- getting people's attention so like I knew that because there wasn't anything else out there that had this I was like I can run with this let me run with this so I just I created some artwork I had somebody well I didn't create it I had somebody I paid somebody to do it for me because I can't draw or any of that stuff so I had somebody make like make a little artwork thing for me and I was like okay I guess this is what I'm doing now and I also realized that I could make money doing it, and I think as a queer, disabled person who is really marginalized when it comes to finding work, and so many of us who are disabled have trouble finding a quote-unquote job because many of the jobs we are asked to do are not accessible to us, or many of the jobs we go out for don't consider disability as an, as like a need, don't consider access as important. So I realized that I could build a brand for myself and also say, hey, if you like what I'm doing, give me a dollar. Give me a couple dollars. Like, pay for me to do this. And so I started doing that, not actually thinking anybody would give me money. And then people started giving me money. And I was like, all right, I guess I guess people <laughs> like it. But what I loved about the show and what I still love about the show almost three years on now is that people will listen and say, I listened to this episode of your show and I heard, I, I heard a version of my story and thank you. Or I read an article you wrote for this magazine and I saw myself in that character in that in that description and so to know that i'm able to bring disabled people a, a version of themselves where they don't so they don't feel so alone is really awesome so i mean yeah i mean that's a long-winded way of saying i do i create stuff around disability and queerness and i want to build that community up yeah i think that's all really interesting i think what you like how you were saying podcasting is really accessible format both in terms of creating and that you can start with nothing you just literally need some way to record and be able to talk but also in 
it's really accessible um, in terms of an audience as well in terms that it's it's free it's just online and that um, you just need to be able to listen to it you don't have to go anywhere to access it I think that's really interesting with podcasts in terms of disability it's a great medium because I mean not for every disability I'm learning too the people are asking me for transcripts and that's I, I want to do a lot more of that but paying for transcription services is like ridiculously expensive so people will say to me, hey, do you have a transcript? And I have to be like, not yet. Sorry, I really wish I did. And I really wish that I could spend all my time, like, writing out each episode for you. And, I, like, I'm actually considering doing that, starting to go back over every episode and writing it out myself so that it will take forever. But I want to I wanna give my community more access. So I'm literally going to go through in, in the next few weeks and just go through every single thing I said again and try to make it, trying to make a transcript of each each one so that people can listen. But in terms of accessibility, for the most part, if you if you aren't hard of hearing or deaf, podcasting can be really accessible to you because you can just click and there it is. Yeah, for sure. I think it is a really interesting format in that sense. Um, do you feel like you've become more connected um, to other disabled people and talking about sexuality and things through your podcast as well? Has it worked that way for you as well as your audience? Oh, yeah. I, I love hearing people's stories and I love letting them come on as guests and just talk. When somebody comes on as a guest and wants to share with me their experience that is completely vastly different from mine, I just sit and shut up and listen. I The whole episode is me going, uh-huh, keep talking. Yep, great. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't say yeah, we much. Know that. <laughs> yeah, because I want to just listen to what they're saying, and I don't want to... I also understand my privilege as a, as a white, cis, disabled man. I don't want to... If I'm speaking to somebody who doesn't share those set of privileges, I want to let them share their story. It isn't my place to talk over. It's not my place to to talk for them. If they have something... I think with any disabled person that I have on the show, I want them to feel as comfortable as possible. So my job is to... Like, I send out a questionnaire before I do the show, and I say, write down everything you've ever wanted to talk about about sex and disability, and write it all down in this section so that we have an hour full of stuff that you get to share. And I make sure that they know that the show's... Before I hit record, I say, the show's about you. Do whatever you want to do. Make, like, much like you both did for me just now, like, to make sure that the person's comfortable and say, like, this is your time to do whatever you want. Come on the show and, like... Obviously, don't be an offensive person and don't say horrible <laughs> things. But of course, <laughs> for the most part, that I mean, that doesn't happen with what I do. I try to really vet who I get on the show because I think these discussions need to happen more and more. And so I, I really take pride in who I have on the show because it's such a vast array of voices and people with different experiences that want that really want to talk about sex and really want to be a part of this thing I'm trying to do and also I love that it's like I love much like with your show it's done from a bedroom like it's not in a studio there's no high production value there's not a team of researchers behind me doing it it's me in my bedroom saying oh I gotta do an episode today but all right better put something together because and <laughs> like similar to your show like I listened to a couple episodes the other day to get a feel of who of the show I was on and I just was like oh it's so it's so simple and I don't mean that in like a derogatory way I mean it's, it's simple in like 
that it, there's there doesn't need to be all the stuff around it. You had something you wanted to share with the world, and you press record and made it go. And there's something really powerful about that. Yeah, like that was definitely the idea of the show. Was really we have all these stories that we've heard, and no one else has had has heard them, and that's really sad because they're really good stories and they're really happy stories and. They make us feel really good, so why not just share them with everyone else? And you don't need, you know, like a really expensive microphone and like really expensive software. Like you really just need to want to share the stories and then have people who are willing to come talk to you about them. And we've been really lucky. Yeah. Like all of our guests have been lovely, beautiful people who had such interesting things to say and different perspectives. And we've had such variety on the show as well. And I think that's really important. And I've learned so much from the conversations that we've had and so yeah yeah it's the, it's that thing of just kind of shutting up and listening to what your guests have to say because you know the episode is about them like yeah it's not about it's really isn't about me if i want to do a solo episode i can do that and i can spend 30 minutes talking about what i want to but even that like i have noticed when i do a solo episode of my show i try to find something in the news i try to find a topic that i'm interested in that would that would interest an audience listening because it's not just me talking to myself I'm putting it out to people who are going to spend 30-40 minutes listening to me yammer on so it has to be something that I really spend a lot of time on my Twitter and on my social media saying hey if I did an episode about this would you listen like if I put an episode out about this would you pay attention to really find out like what is my what kind of stuff does my audience want because disability disability generally is such a vast thing to talk about when you really get into it but then when you add sex in there there are so many different other things you can like put together with it so I really try to take my time to curate shows that are fun and interesting and fun for me like I love taking stuff from popular sexual magazines like Cosmo or like you know Playboy and saying oh you didn't include disability here well what would happen if we did you didn't you didn't talk about how disability was included here what would happen if we the whole episode was about that. So I've done episodes on, like, one of my favorite ones that I've, that I've done recently was one that I did where I took first date food. So if you go on a first date with somebody, what would you eat? And I suggested, like, what, what would you do if you were disabled and you needed to eat and you needed help to eat? So how would this change the food you might consume? So when we think of first date foods, we think of, like, pasta or, like, some fancy restaurant, and I looked at that and said, well, okay, what if you're disabled and you couldn't feed yourself and you needed your partner to help you, or you wanted to feed yourself but you couldn't do pasta because it was too hard for you? How would that change your first day food, and how would this, you know, how would a partner look at that and, and understand that from a different angle, and how would you explain to your partner, like, hey, I need to be fed this food? So I looked at all that from a from a disability standpoint, and it was really cool because it was something that even I hadn't considered until I started thinking about it. And so to put it in an episode and say, hey, here's the thing I want, I want to chat about was really, it was just really nice to put disability into something that was, in all the articles that I looked at, disability was not included there. So to be able to say, hey, disabled people go on first dates too, and they like to eat food too, and here's what they need to like, here's what they need, here's what they might want to talk about if they were to consider going on a first date and having a meal that's really that sounds cool. really interesting do you find i mean I'm, I'm sure you do like find in a lot of places that disability is just not even mentioned yeah it's really not i mean it, it 
it's tends to be mentioned in like social justice circles as a theory in terms of theoretical stuff but when it comes to like actually happening in your day people take so much stuff for granted and so it's just and it, it isn't mentioned in a lot of the work that I do around sexuality and disability I am the first person they've talked to who's disabled and says I have sex and who does it in a way that isn't I don't sugarcoat it I don't pretend like I'm not when I talk about sex I'm very frank I'll, I'll use you know, colloquial terminology for body parts, I'll use, I'll say, like, hey, I fucked this person today, like, I make it very clear that I, I know what I'm talking about, and I'm not gonna pretend, like, sex and disability is this clean, sanitized thing, I'm gonna be just as messy as all the rest of my peers are being about it, and make sure I talk about disability while I'm doing it. Exactly, I think that, you know, using colloquial terms, it's, you know, it's the, it's still sex, isn't it? It's, it's like you say, it's not this very separate thing, and is that partly why you specifically wanted to talk about disability and sex together on your podcast? Yeah, I mean, that's part of it, um, because it's not something we talk about. It is, and he, again, like I was saying earlier in the podcast world, there's one or two shows that will do episodes about it here and there, but that's it. And I was like, well, there's more to it than that. It goes so much deeper than just, oh, wow, how do you have sex? And so, like, I wanted to explore what what is... What is the questions after how do you have sex and how does, what are those questions and how does sex and disability, what does it feel like and how, what are we not talking about and what things should we be focusing on that we aren't and what stuff, what's, what's good about sex and disability and like what representations around sexuality and disability are good and what are bad and so I, I do all of that. Like I've done episodes where I'll review movies that have done sex and disability, I'll review like that movie that came out a couple years ago, Margarita with a Straw, I did that one. I've done, like, Me Before me before You, and I, like, made fun about how ridiculous it was. <laughs> and, like, I've, I, t- I take popular culture I've stuff. I've heard so many different opinions about Me Before You. <laughs> it's, I hated it. It was such a ridiculous <laughs> film. Considering now, like, to go off on a weird tangent, considering that Amelia Clark just admitted that she um, had an- has aneurysms, and it's like starting to kind of come out as being disabled. It's like, did you, did you realize that you were in a film that was like, like ridiculous and totally went against it, went against everything you're like saying now? And I like, I appreciate that you're coming out as being an aneurysm survivor, and like, that's your deal. And okay, but like, do you see how what you did was a problem? <laughs> <laughs> so like, I try to, I try to when I do shows like that, I try to um. I try to take the piss out of, like, just showing how ridiculous it is. Like, I've done that one. I did, uh, I did, what else did I do? I did Margarita with a Straw. I have done, uh, what is the other one? With the, with the woman and the fish guy. Shape of Water. She was deaf. That was bad. Yeah, so I did that, like, I did that one, and I just make, I make fun of it because I'm like, Someone needs to look at these films and show how ridiculous they are. And so I'll do it scene by scene and I'll describe the film and I'll say what's happening. And I love doing episodes like that because it's just fun. I get to just play with like, oh, this is ridiculous. Here's why. Like, I'll watch the film and I'll make five pages of notes. And then I get to, play, I get to talk them off in a mic after and play with it. So it's great. Have you done, um, the, I can't remember what it's called, but it's the one about with Eddie Redmayne and Steve, about Stephen Hawking. Oh, it was um, The Theory of Everything. Yeah. I haven't yet, but I've heard that I, I should, would... 
I feel I'm, like I want to oh. hear your opinions on that. <laughs> I might have to do it now that I might just have to because I was tasked to write an article for Men's Health in the, in the States about him. After he passed last year, people want people were writing opinion pieces about how now he's free yeah. and now he's not confined to his wheelchair anymore. And I came back and said, <sighs> why can't he be in his wheelchair in wherever, the, in wherever he is? Why can't he be... Why isn't his wheelchair with him? Like, why is he now... All of a, so I, I I wrote a few pieces about that, and I just I just found it really funny how the minute he died, everybody was like, oh, wow. He, first of all, for all we know, and from, from reports I read about him, he wasn't the kindest guy. He was kind of a prick from what I read about him. <laughs> so, like, good, like, whatever, fine, you can be a prick. But he's still disabled. And, like, this movie, I haven't seen it. I've only seen previews, and I'm like, oh, God. But this movie makes him out to be, like, this great hero when everything I've heard on the other side is, yeah, he was kind of a philandering, womanizing kind of asshole. <laughs> so, like, why are we why are we grandizing him? Even the article that I wrote was, like, I didn't say he was a prick because they were probably <laughs> to not say that, but I, I remember being like, okay, like, he's not great, like, why are we giving him props just because he's dead? And so I hope that when I pass on to whatever place I go to, like, that people will say, yeah, he was a nice guy, but also he can be a bit of a dick. Because <laughs> like, we all can. Because... <laughs> exactly. I, I, with Stephen Hawking as well, like, from interviews that I've seen, he had a really dry sense of humour as well. So I, I do think that film, it was... It was really, it was very sanitized in in that sense, because like you say, he was a bit of a prick, but also really funny as well. Yeah, he was re- like he was really, really funny, and I like I I'm ever since I watched Les Mis, I can't Eddie Redmayne. He's made some really poor acting choices. He was in the he was in the Danish he was in like, no, the, the Danish, Danish girl. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh, what is he doing? Like, what are you doing? As a queer person, I was a little bit like, okay. And then when I saw that he, when I saw that he did that, I was like, well, Eddie, like, can you go back to being a 17th century, like, person in Limiz? Because that I can get behind, but this I can't. Maybe you just fire your agent now. Like, you've just had roll on roll on roll that have been terrible. I know. Like, does he, is he making money by being a bad actor? Like, is that his thing? Cause, Probably. I mean, he I seems to be getting very well rewarded for it as yeah. well, though. So maybe he's like, oh, well, this is this is a niche. Maybe bad morally, but money-wise. I mean, and he's an attractive British ginger guy. It would be all over him. He's like, if he would just not make shitty films anymore. Have you um, found... I mean, I'm sure you'll mention them later in the Queer Recommends if you have, but have you found, like, a film where disability is really well represented? No. Uh, documentaries, yeah. Do- for sure, documentaries are great. But even those, you have to be careful because the director, the direct, the people who are, like, producing these films tend to be able-bodied. And so if you look at it from their lens, it's completely different. I'd love to see documentary films made by disabled people and I know there are a few out there I just can't think of their names right now but I know there are a few like floating around but there need to be way more and so I haven't seen a narrative piece that I liked that was really true but I I almost like taking the piss out of the bad ones first before I look at a good one like I love (laughs) like I'm gonna be doing um there was a 
it was a really bad film a few a few years ago called Morgan out of like the states and it was it's about like this disabled guy who was paralyzed from the war from like Iraq or something and he comes back and he's paralyzed and he is queer and the whole like all the reviews I read are how great it is and how like beautiful the film is and what what a great actor he is for portraying this guy and like I am just so excited to be like actually it's a shitty film here's <laughs> I can't wait for you to do that either. <laughs> It'll be good times. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your consultancy work. And, sure. Um, how did you get into that? Was it sort of did, was it a conscious decision you made that you wanted to do that, or did you kind of fall into it through other things that you've been doing? Well, a little bit of both. I mean, I had finished school. I had taken a, a BA and an MA in law, and I wanted to go to law school. But during the time of me going to law school, I no, I didn't go to law school. I was I was looking into do, to doing PhDs and like other academic stuff. But when you get stuck in the academic bubble, what you very quickly realize is like it's a it's a safe space to talk about theory, but it doesn't translate into real life. And I hated that part of it. And I didn't want to do seven more years of school to maybe get a job at the end. I was like, well, fuck, this is ridiculous now. So I finished my MA, and I, I, I was home probably about seven years ago now. I was home at the computer, and I'd always wanted to talk about queerness and disability as a job. And so I started saying, like, I want to do disability consulting as my job. I started going to, like, sometimes when you're disabled, they pair you with, like, an employment service who helps you find a job that will meet your both your access needs and then and then help you find work. So I met with my advisor and said, I want to do disability consulting. And they looked me dead in the eye and said, that's not a real job, that's a hobby. Why don't we find you a real job? And I remember thinking, oh, well, that, okay. And I didn't believe them. I didn't agree. I was like, well, they're fucking wrong, but okay, fine. So I didn't believe them. And so I was depressed for months and months. I was like, well, they told me it's not a real job. I can't really do it. And then one day... I was on the computer looking for porn because I was lonely and depressed and wanted to get off. <laughs> um, so I was looking for porn, and I just decided to email HuffPo, call a cold email, and say, Hi, my name's Andrew Gerza. I have a story to tell about queerness and disability. Have you ever had anybody write stuff like that for you before? They said no. And I said, well, let me pitch you like six ideas and I literally sent me out with like six pitches and said here's what I want to write and they said all of these are great write them and we'll see how they go and I was like what wow like I didn't I knew that HuffPost was big but I didn't realize like that I had just gotten through to them so I wrote a bunch of articles for them in my first kind of year of figuring this out I didn't get paid for it but I, at the time I didn't care because I was like I guess this I want to see how this goes and then I went on Vistaprint a few months later and was like, okay, I guess I'm going to do this now. And I put my name on a card and said I'm a disability awareness consultant, having no idea what that meant. Didn't know what that <laughs> term was. And I realized after, later, people have been using that term to discuss disability, but in terms of access only, like accessibility only. And I was like, I know, I want to talk about what it feels like to be disabled and what that awareness is like to realize you're queer and disabled and I want to talk about that stuff so when people ask me what I do I said I, I talk about queerness and disability and I put that on a card and I started handing that card out to anyone who would take it 
saying, here's what I do. Um, and they would say to me, people have said, like, oh, what are your credentials? And I said, well, my lived experience is my credentials. Like, that's all you need to know. And if you really, if you must know, I went to school for, like, the for law, so I have that background if you, if you need some, like, trumped-up credentials. But my lived experience is my credentials. Here's my card. Here's what I do. And what I love about all of that is it's, that was DIY. Like, I didn't, I didn't wait for somebody to tell me this is a job. I said, fuck you, I'm making this a job. Watch me go. And, like, I, would, I started charging for talks, having no, having no baseline of what I should charge, what, is, what, I, what I'm worth. I'm just saying I want to talk. Pay me for this. And people started doing it. And so it just is something I both curated and something I definitely fell into for sure it's a really interesting route and I, I totally get you with the like I'm gonna make a business card and I'm gonna put this job title on it and I'm not really sure what it reads yet because I did very similar things with my job um so do you do you you said you deliver talks but do you sort of go into organizations do you talk at events what's kind of the yeah balance of the work that you do I mean I do I've done corporate events I've done uh community groups I've done like classrooms I've done I've done bars like I've I've been everywhere because like I and I don't really care about the money so much I care about what is the community that I am gonna help understand disability here so I'd love to do more stuff in quote-unquote sex positive places because so many of those spaces are inaccessible so if you're listening out there and wherever you're listening I will come to your sex positive dungeon and give you like a sex disability workshop. Let me know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I've done it all and I don't really care where I do it. I love the fact that I get to build community that way. And I love the fact that I get to, somebody yesterday called me a thought leader and that I don't know if I like that term yet, but they called me a thought leader and I was like, oh, like, thank you, I guess. Like, I, I, I don't see my people, and people have called me an expert and I bristle at that because in my talk, the very second slide is, hi, my name's Andrew Gerza, I'm not an expert, and here's why I'm not one. Because I feel like <laughs> I want to build community that way, and I want to bring you into my world as opposed to, like, lording over my expertise over you. So I try not to, I try to really make it a DIY. Like, even my talks are DIY. I, I put all the slides together. I don't, again, have no team doing it. It's me sitting at my computer being like, oh, fuck, I got to get this ready. I got to do this. I got <laughs> to do, do a talk today. So, like, I love... What I love about it is it's showing disabled people that, and non-disabled people, that you can create stuff around disability that makes money and has impact and isn't always about access. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. And it can also be fun and sexy and different. Do you ever, because I imagine the majority of the audiences that you speak to are able-bodied, do you ever get tired of having to sort of explain yourself and your identity to people because you know I find repeatedly coming out to people exhausting so I imagine if you're doing that on a, a public level that could become even more so do you ever have that yeah I do but then I try to remember that if by doing this I'm changing someone's day and I'm changing their minds and then they might walk out of my session and bump into the hottest sexiest salesperson ever and now have a new <laughs> toolkit for having that conversation that they didn't have before and also typically when I do the talk they're paying me so I have to, I have to remember that like <laughs> like yeah I might be tired and yes I might be exhausting and yes and yes and yes 
but at the end of the day, I get a check, and, like, it's my livelihood, so as tiring as that can be, it's also what I do, and I ask for this attention, and I, I, I built this, so I can't get too upset, because, and there are moments where I'm burnt out, but I have to, I go home, and I watch, you know, I watch TV, and I watch, like, comedy, and I try to do self-care, and I try to, like, really remember that this is what you asked for, so you got it. So now I have to deliver. I'm doing that thing that works really well on a podcast where I'm sat just Same. nodding at you. I'm like, Same. Yeah, it's like, I agree with you, which comes across really well on a podcast. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> when you do all those like talks and uh, conferences and all the amazing things that you do, like how important do you make queerness? So is it like firstly about disability, then you talk about your queerness a little bit, or is it no, like both no, of them? No, no, it's always a, no, no, no. And I've had people tell me that my talks are too racy and I should downplay what I'm talking about, and I have to go back and be like, no, fuck you. Mm. It's like I remember there was maybe, well, maybe not fuck you, but in my head, fuck <laughs> you. Um, but like, no, I don't want to do that because I'm, and I remember there was a big conference this past October that I was asked to Skype into for the, I'm not going to name them, but there were big disability organization in Canada. And they'd asked me months and months before, a year before they asked me to do this. And I said yes. And then two weeks before my talk, I sent them my slides and they said, oh, this is great, but it's really explicit. And I was like, uh-huh. Yeah. Right. And they were like, well, we're concerned because we're going to have influencers there or, like, big names there. And I was like, uh-huh, but you want me to talk about sex, right? And they were like, mm-hmm. So I had to convince them that, oh, and they, what they said to me was, was we want to protect the people in the audience. I said, what are we protecting them from? The truth? What are we hiding from them? Why are we sanitizing mm-hmm. this? And I really fought them and said... I said, I will do part of what you want because I want your money and I've already agreed to this and I've signed all the contracts. So I will do it in part. But I want you to know that I'm not happy about it. I'm not pleased with it. No. And so I try to make my queerness like front and center. There are talks I've given that said, shining a light on the queer cripple. Like that, that's, a, that's a title of one of the talks I've given. So I'm not shy about putting my queerness front and center because... My queerness and my disability have brought me this job. So I can't, I don't try to run from it. It's, it's always something I connect with. And also, like, I like being queer. I like sucking dick. I like men. I li- you know, I like that part of my life. So I don't hide from it at all. I, I make it very, a very prominent part of what I do. I think it's just so ironic that people can ask you to come and talk about sex and then get upset by you talking about sex. Yeah. I know. It's so weird. Because also it's like, we're all adults. Like, if you're doing a talk for, I don't know, children, then sure, maybe revamp it, but like... Yeah, like, and I've done I've done talks for kids where I've, like, really had to be like, okay, like I did a talk a few weeks ago, not a talk, but I was asked to be part of a TV thing that I'm not supposed to talk about, but I don't care. So... <laughs> I did do this, it, do it, yeah, do it. <laughs> I did this thing for this web series where I had talked to kids about sex and what I found, or sex and disability, and what I found most awesome about that was that um, the kids didn't want to know about sex. They didn't care, but they wanted to know things like, 
hey, how do you get out of your chair? How do you go to the bathroom? How do you feed yourself? They wanted to know, like, basic, rudimentary things about disability. And I love that because we didn't even get to sex. I remember doing it, and not one kid asked me about sex. They wanted to know all about my wheelchair. They wanted to know how fast it went. They wanted to know how I went pee. They wanted to know, like, how I got dressed. They wanted to know if I showered. They wanted to know... And none of this was done. They were kids, right? So none of it was done in, like, a malicious way. It was done in, like... I genuinely don't know, please guide me. And when I did, because they're kids, and kids are so fucking resilient, they went, and I answered every single question, and they went, oh, okay. And that was it. Like, they got the knowledge they wanted, they were happy, and we were were done. And I just think that, I think disabled people need to talk more to both disabled and non-disabled kids about, not just sex, but just disability generally. And the same with educators and the same with people in these fields. Sit down and just tell me you don't know. Tell me you're ignorant in the nicest possible way. And I'll guide you. But if you pretend like you know, and you you start using words like handicapable and differently abled and like all that bullshit in, in an attempt to pretend you know, you look silly where you just said, I don't know, I can guide you if I choose to. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think you, people just need to be more honest about things that they don't know. Oh, my know. God. Literally the best advice. <laughs> <laughs> just admit you don't know shit. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Which is, I think, is what great, is great about kids. Because like you said, they will just ask you straight up questions and there's no bullshit of them trying to like, oh, I want to ask you this thing, but I don't know how to phrase it. They will just and they'll just ask, ask you, you stuff even if straight. it's like the rudest thing ever. They'll ask you because they don't have a filter. And it's like I remember when, once I was in Florida with my mom, and we were swimming in the pool, and she was helping me swim. And for her to help me swim, she has to hold me in the water, and like make sure I can breathe, you know. So we were doing that, and this little girl swam up to us and said, "Excuse me, why don't your legs work?" And I just. <laughs> <laughs> I came up out of the water and I started to laugh and I just said, oh, I can't walk. That's all. And she goes, all right. And she swam away. And like, it was just such a, such a funny, like, weird interaction that was so honest. And I love when kids ask that stuff because they just want to know. And if I can teach a kid early about disability in a way that doesn't scare them, I've done my job too. So, yeah. To go back to your larger question, if I'm talking to kids, obviously I will, I will revamp my talks for them. But if I'm talking to a room of adults, I'm going to be honest. And I'm going to be blunt. And I think the bluntness scares people away. And after that big talk for that organization, I was on Skype for about 10 minutes after it was done. And people would come up to the camera and say, wow, thank you so much for your talk. We needed stuff like that. Thank you. Thank you. And I just, I said thank you and I was gracious. But I remember laughing saying... You see, big organization that was so scared. Everybody wanted this. <laughs> Why did you almost take it away from them? Yeah, I I think everybody needs that honesty in the same way that you need to answer the blunt questions from kids. You need to be blunt with the adults as well so that they don't do that whole pretending that they know when they don't know thing. Yeah, exactly. And I'm so happy that people like you exist who are just willing to do the work for all of the ignorant people out there, I guess. I'm happy to, I mean, and I think everyone's ignorant. Like, I am too. And I think that's when we, when we talk about privilege and, like, in in spaces, I have a lot of privilege as a white, 
cisgender disabled guy with the, with the privilege of speech. I'm aware of that. I'm also aware when I fuck up and people need to call me out sometimes too and be like, actually... But I also think that the way call-out culture on social media is, like, I wish it was a kinder way of doing that. It wasn't, like, putting people on blast. And I've done it. I'm guilty of it, too. We need to, like, hey, can I call you in instead of, like, blasting you all over my social media about how you're a bad person because you didn't know? Like, let's... Mm-hmm. And with my work, I love bringing people in, like, to my world and saying, what don't you know? Like, one of the questions I ask in my, like, the fourth or fifth slide of my talks are, like, hey, what do you think you know about sex? And everybody sits there, like, shamefully quiet for, like, 20, like, two or three minutes until I go, you know, it's okay, you can ask. And then slowly somebody will raise their hand and I'll have to be like, oh, did you want to ask, like, what is it? And they're like, oh, I'm not sure how to say it, but, like, how do you have sex? And then we have a laugh about, like, how I do and I make a joke (laughs) and they feel better. But, like, I think that we have to be comfortable saying we don't know. And there's a lot of stuff I don't know, and I'm happy to say I don't know. We're all on a learning curve, aren't we? When nobody's born knowing everything there is to know in the world. Yeah, exactly. So I think, like, we need to tell people when they fuck up, but I think we can do it in a nice way, in a way that educates people instead of shaming people for not knowing things exactly i mean unless they like repeatedly fuck oh, up yeah. Like, yeah. you know that other people have called <laughs> them out but, like if you're literally out there on the internet trying to exist and trying to learn and trying to be a part of this world where we all are learning about things that we never even imagined like you have to kind of be wary that some people are just assholes but then some people are really they just don't know and like there is i guess like it is important to have patience a little bit for these yeah. people who just don't know i i'm instituting a new rule in a lot of the work i do on social media especially where everybody gets one you get one chance to really fuck up where you can say an ableist thing you can say like a weird sex and disability thing that i don't necessarily like but you could say it one time and that's the one time where i won't blast you after that if you do it <laughs> repeatedly <laughs> And I've told you what I like, and you keep doing it, then I will blast you, and I... That's fine. Oh, that's fair yeah, that's enough. that's what I mean by, like, a little take, bit of patience. If you're not going to take the advice on board, then you brought it on yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Amazing. So, we have a thing called the Queer Scale, and we ask our guests to put themselves or their work on the Queer Scale. Um... So you have to think of something that you would want to be like on the bottom of your scale and on the top of your scale. Okay, so we talked a lot about disability representation today. So I think I'll do top and bottom, my most favorite disability narrative and my most my least favorite. Amazing. None Perfect. of them are good. <laughs> Even my most favorite and my least favorite will not be good. But <laughs> of, okay, so my most favorite, even though it's not great, is Margarita with a Straw. Because when I watched that film, I don't know if either of you have seen it, but it's a film about a, a girl in India who has CP, and she she's exploring her sexuality, and then she moves to New York and fucks a bunch of people and realizes that she's bi, and then her mother, it's a whole thing. But <laughs> the character had CP. The actress did not. But when I watched it the first time, I believed that she did have CP, and I fell in love with the story. So that gets the tops for now and then the worst 
disability representation in a film that I've seen so far was really The Shape of Water. Because, what the fuck? Why? <laughs> like, why would you? Why? Why? She fell in love with a fish man. <laughs> and the only way for, like, and I called the episode that I, where I reviewed that. I called that title of the episode. If you want to listen, it's episode 95. I, uh, <laughs> I called that episode Eliza and the Fish Man because I was like, what the hell? Um, <laughs> but I, I didn't like that because the, the, it shows that the only way that she can find love is by dating a fish man, which implies that the only way disabled people can find love is to date a monstrous thing that isn't real. Like, how is that all right? So, yeah, Eliza and the Fish Man is the worst, and Margarita with a Straw, although it's not good, was my best. So where are you on that scale? Where am I? <laughs> um, I mean, I would I would have to say that I'm above Margarita the Straw. Nice. Because I'm a real disabled person, really doing real disabled work. <laughs> Instead of just pretending. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> so you're so far on the top of the scale, we can't see the bottom I mean, anymore. <laughs> I'm... I, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I totally will. I'm, I'm, I'm the best. I'm, 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 like, I'm like above the first. Well, thank you. Do you have um, any recommendations? Uh, obviously, you can, um, you can say yourself uh, for any Self-promo like cool content. Encouraged. <laughs> exactly. Um, stuff like that. I'm gonna plug myself for sure. <laughs> um, Disability After Dark is available on all the podcast networks. Uh, you can also follow my work at by following me on all the social medias at the Andrew Gerza, so T H E Andrew Gerza, um, all one word. Follow me there. Uh, um, but people I want to recommend are people like Kirsten Schultz out of the states, and they do a podcast and a brand called Chronic Sex Chat. They're really great, and I would love to connect you with them because they. Are they do really cool stuff around chronic illness and sexuality, um, and they, again, are all are pretty much a self starter with what they do. Um, so they're great. I I'd love to also shout out to, um, people like, Hedonish Rachel Rose does a lot of stuff around invisible disabilities, and queerness. We are going to be doing our own little podcast eventually. We haven't even figured out what it is. Exciting. We're doing it. I'm doing an offshoot. <laughs> where it's very similar to what you've done, where we talk to disabled creators who make stuff and we just sit with them and say, like, hey, what did you, what have you made as a disabled person and why is this important to you? So she's great, fantastic work. Um, anybody who, basically I'm shouting out to anyone who does queer disabled stuff, like you're awesome and people should be following what you do. Brilliant. What I love about Queer Recommends is it gives me stuff as soon as we've finished recording to be like, I'm going to go and search who that person is. I'm going to go and find out about this. Oh, wait. There's one person that I forgot to shout out to. Cameron Glover is is their name. And they host a show called Sex Ed in Color, a podcast. And it's amazing because it's it's a, a sex education show and a guest show where they sit with people of color talking about sex education and... Again, that's something we never get to see very much of. So I love their work. And they also deal with chronic pain. And they just came out as a chronic pain haver. So I love them and everyone should listen to them. Done. We'll go do it.
amazing oh andrew thank you so much for talking to us this has been brilliant this was such a pleasure thank you so much for having me today and i I love what you're doing it's great Oh, thank you so much. We love what you're doing too. Thank you so much. Thanks. I'm pretty sure I could listen to Andrew talk all day. If you want to hear more from him, then check out the Disability After Dark podcast and follow the Disabled People Are Hot hashtag on Twitter. You can find all the links in the description. Now, I'm going to go a little bit rogue here and give you my own queer recommend this week. I know, shocking. But you all need to be watching Gentleman Jack. It's a BBC HBO drama based on the life of Anne Lister, who is often called the first modern lesbian. She was an English landowner in the 1800s who kept prolific diaries about her daily life. A load of these were written in code, and it wasn't until the code was cracked in the 1930s that it was discovered that the diaries kept intimate details of her relationships with women and how publicly open she was about her sexuality. The TV show is based on the diaries and written by the phenomenal Sally Wainwright, who's also written Happy Valley and Last Tango in Halifax. She writes the best dialogue and I could just watch things that she's written all day. It stars Saran Jones as Anne Lister. It's set in West Yorkshire, so really what more could you want? And it features music from Huddersfield band Ohuli and Tido, who are married couple Belinda and Heidi, who are amazing. It's essentially a gay girl's dream of a show, and you should go and watch it now. If you're in the US, then it's all out on HBO already. And if you're in the UK, then the first two episodes are on iPlayer, and new episodes are coming out on BBC One at nine o'clock every Sunday. So go catch up now. Um, I'm gonna stop talking about that, although I could go on about it all day. I'm gonna shut up and tell you the things about the podcast that I am supposed to actually be telling you about right now. Which are, if you wanna keep up to date with the latest episodes, then make sure that you're subscribed to us. Um, also follow us on Twitter at NobodyDiapod, and that way you will never miss a new episode. If you could also rate and review us on iTunes, then we will love you forever. Um, other than that, share the podcast with your friends, um, shout it from the rooftops, and go and watch Gentleman Jack now. Nobody dies.